Um, I wanted to start off with a question. Um, does anyone know our church theme for the year? Woo! Yeah, a couple of people. Uh, can anyone, so th for, for those of you who have been here already, uh, does any, can anyone say it? Grace, you got it? Say that again? Pour into deep waters. You're like really close. <laughs> die, die. You're really close. Okay, so Anne got it. So will you all say that with me? Let me, say, let me tell you the church theme. I'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll go into our passage. Put out into deep waters. Okay? Put out into deep waters. Say that with me. Put out into deep waters. One more time. Put out into deep waters. Uh, when you say the theme by itself, without the context of the story, you have no clue what it's talking about, right? But what, do, what is it talking about? In Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus is on the boat with Peter, his disciple. And this is right after Peter has experienced Jesus doing the miracle of healing his mother, who was sick, who had a fever. And so Peter and his fishermen friends have been in the boat all night long. They're trying to catch fish. They're expert fishermen. That is their livelihood. They've been doing it for a long time. They've been able to make a living catching fish, so they know everything about it. They're an expert fisherman. Uh, Dan used the example of Peter Natanel. Uh, he's not here. Okay, he's on the Chinese side, but he's an expert fisherman. But Peter can't catch anything. And so Jesus tells Peter, put out into deep waters, which means cast your nets in, an, in this area that I'm telling you. And so Peter would, was probably thinking to himself, I already tried that. I tried everything. I caught nothing. But because in his mind, at the because he knows who Jesus is to some degree, because Jesus healed his mother, he thinks, okay, let's give it a shot. So he puts out into deep waters, and then there's this huge catch of fish. And so the, the point, the thing that Dan was talking about last week is what does this passage, what does this theme communicate? And many people would say, oh, it's get outside of your comfort zone and like take a risk for God and be sold out for God. That's actually not what we're trying to communicate through the theme. What we're trying to communicate is in light of what Jesus has done or how you've already seen Jesus work in your life and the lives of the people around you, in light of that, it makes perfect sense to obey him. It makes perfect sense to try to discern his voice and hear from him and do what he says. For Peter, the reason he did that was because Jesus had already performed the miracle of healing his mom, and so his life was forever transformed by the act of grace that God had done for him. And so for today, we're going to be asking this question, what does it look like for us, okay? What is the attitude of a disciple? Uh, what does it mean? What are the kind of the preconditions or the prerequisites for being able to hear God's voice? Um, and so I want you to think about it like this. Uh, do you know the difference between being a good student and a bad student? What's the difference? What do you think? Throw, throw some stuff out. You don't do your homework? Die, die. You're great? Okay. No, okay, let me put this a different way, because all of you school kids have been brainwashed into thinking that grades equal learning. If you want to really learn something, what kind of attitude towards the teacher do you have to have? 
What? Chris? Follow directions. Follow directions? Yeah. I mean, so that is a behavior that you do. What is the attitude of a student who is like listening and trying to learn from the teacher? Let me use a dumb example. I'm going to use a sports analogy. Okay. So when I was growing up, I loved basketball. Um, I loved playing basketball, and I had my favorite basketball players. And I looked up to them, right? And so whenever they would do something on the basketball court, I would try to copy them. What is the attitude that that's demonstrating? Number one, I know I'm not as good as Michael Jordan. And I want to learn from him because he's better than me. So there's an attitude of humility. There's an attitude of emulation where you want to do the same thing that that person is doing. And so in the same way, if you're a good student, you say, now, this is where it gets interesting in the school system, where some of you kids are super smart, and you might think to yourself, this teacher has no clue what they're talking about. And you know, because you're smart. And sometimes you're put in classes with teachers that you know less than you about the subject. I would say that's pretty rare, but it probably happens. Um, but to be, have this attitude of a learner is so important within the Christian life. And so I was, thinking to, I was thinking to myself, what passage really illustrates this attitude of what it means to be a disciple? And so we're going to read our passage for today. I hope as we understand this attitude, this can help us discern the voice of God for us, which means there is <laughs> God's will for your life has already been revealed in many general ways. And so the particular instances of God's life, sometimes that's less clear. Well, whatever, we'll talk about that. Probably next week, um, if, well, me, me and Dan will talk about this later, but um, I think maybe next week we might talk about what it looks like to personally hear God's voice for you and your concrete situations. But for this week, I just want to give you the prerequisites, the attitude, um, the kind of, the attitude and behavior underneath uh, discipleship so that you can hear God's voice, okay? So this is from Romans chapter one, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. So let me read this. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to that passage, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, this is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, I pray, Father, that by your power you would open up our ears, you would help us understand deeply what it means to be your disciple in new ways, um, I pray, Lord, you would start to chip away at our preconceptions. Um, but most of all, Lord, I pray you would be convincing us how you are trustworthy and worthy of following and, and listening to. Um, and then I pray, Father, that we would be able to present our attention to you as we hear from your word. Um, and I pray this would change us and help us to hear you and follow you um, because it is so good to do that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So... Uh, the main point for today is God wants disciples unleashed, okay? God wants disciples unleashed. Now, when you say, when you hear that phrase unleashed, you might think that I'm doing like a 
poor self-help talk where it's like unleash your potential or like unleash your willpower or your unleash your body's natural healing properties by taking the supplement that will make me money or whatever it might be. But no, it's far dumber than that. It's way dumber than that. When I say disciples unleashed, what I mean is a dog has a leash and your relationship with God is kind of like a dog. So let me tell you a story. Ridiculous, right? Let me tell you a story. Um, when there is a, my favorite preacher, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm going to start every sermon with that. Uh, he, he had a series of 10 sermons on these two verses. Ten, so like, like 150 plus pages. And just I'm such a nerd, so I read all of them again uh, to prepare for the sermon. But he uses this one illustration that I really love. Um, for many of us, when we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and when we think about even this passage, there are certain things that stand out to us. When I read the passage, do you experience it as pressuring? When Often when we read the Bible, we think, oh my gosh, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not performing well enough when it comes to this. And so this is actually the, these verses are generally like the theme verses for every single youth retreat ever. I don't know if you knew that. Um, the first verse where it talks about presenting your bodies as living sacrifices. Everyone uses that to say, be sold out for God, like make more sacrifices for God, do all the right stuff for God, don't be conformed to the world, right? But I want to I argue that there's actually something really different going on here. So let me use this illustration that I, I want to follow through with the entire sermon. There is a guy um, who was, I think he was a doctor or something, and he had a tiny little dog that he would walk around the park. So it was a park, this was in England, this was in like, I don't know, a long time ago in the early 1900s or something. And so he had this little dog, a little yappy dog, and he would take it along the same walking route every single day on a leash. And as he was walking this dog, the dog would be straining against the leash and pulling him everywhere. Though, I mean, he's a human, the dog was small, so he could obviously not let the dog pull you. Uh, my dog is a lot bigger than this dog. And when my dog tries to pull you, you will get pulled. Uh, many of you have met Eva, but anyway. So he's walking this dog every day, and then he comes to a point as a pet owner that I think many of you have come to where he kind of wonders to himself, what would it be like to let this dog off the leash? And so after, at some point, he lets the dog off the leash on their walking trail, and he's thinking to himself, this is kind of risky. I wonder if this dog is going to run back to me. What's going to happen? Is the dog going to bite someone? Um, and then he lets the dog go, and phew, the dog speeds off like a bullet or a, a thunderbolt, and it, the dog is nowhere to be seen. And so this man, he's, he's probably thinking to himself, oh my gosh. And okay, I know what this is like as a dog owner, because... Uh, oftentimes when I talk to like the mailman when they come to my door, Eva, our dog, she's like hiding behind me and she's trying to like poke her head out between my legs and escape, go into the street. And every once in a while she actually escapes where she runs out the door and then she speeds off and is like running around chasing random people or she sees a dog and she runs after the dog. Um, so that's like really stressful as a dog owner. I don't know if you know what that's like. It's really stressful because I'm like, is she going to get hit by a car? Is she going to come back? 
And so this man, he lets the dog off of the leash. The dog speeds away. And he's kind of like discouraged and downcast. He thinks to himself, like, is this dog ever going to come back? So he goes along his route. And then after about 10 minutes of walking, so 10 whole minutes, the dog comes speeding back. And the dog is like, like wagging its tail. And it's so happy to see its master. And he's, and again, like, can you imagine what that dog was getting up to? You have no idea. You have no idea what the dog was doing. But there is something in the dog that made it want to return to its master, even though it no longer had the leash. And so the, he tells the story, and then he says, from that moment on, I don't know if this was an illustrative exaggeration, but they say from that moment on, when the master walked in the park, he left the dog off the leash, and the dog would follow the master all by itself. The dog never ran away anymore because the dog had come to itself, had come to decide for itself that it was worth it to be with the master. This is the image I want you to think about. Um, many of you, when, you, when I, we talk about discipleship or hearing the voice of God, um, when, when I say the words, do what God says or listen to God, many of you have a certain view of God in your mind that is making it impossible for you to listen to God, which is basically, why would I want to listen to God? Why would I trust God? And so when you look at this verse, there's something really interesting going on here. In this verse, Paul is talking about Christian conduct. He's talking about what it means to live as a Christian. But there's a lot of interesting things in this passage that almost mean the tone of this passage is the opposite of the way many people use it. So, for example, um, God wants you to be a sacrificial disciple. He wants you to be a living sacrifice. And it says in this passage, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? And so many people will say to you, this means you have to go to church. This means you have to obey God and read your Bible and pray. Now, all of those things are practices that we can use to interact with God personally. But what's so important is the motivation behind it. Uh, if you look at this verse very carefully, we're, I mean, all we're going to do is we're going to read through this verse slowly and carefully, okay? So if you look at, um, I don't know why, I accidentally closed my laptop, and now I need it. Um, if you look at the, uh, so I have, I have three points. Uh, disciples unleashed, take the leash off and follow God like the dog. Number one, God wants us to present our whole self to him. And this is what many people say. This is what Jesus says. Um, Jesus says, uh, you know, count the cost, uh, like, you know, sell everything and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, you must uh, carry your cross daily, deny yourself, and come follow me. Um, so God wants us to present our whole self to him. But in this passage, the reason we do that is not coercive. It's not because we are forced to. It's because like that dog, we experience the freedom of being a person where I can choose in my relationship with God to do whatever I want. I really can. God is not forcing me. He has taken the leash off. But then what's so incredible is as you come to know Jesus, and as this is what we're going to get to later, as your mind is renewed, you, become to un, you begin to understand not only is God worth following um, because because you're forced to, but God is worth following because you love him and because his way is better. 
And so I think about that dog again, right? Like, let's, I don't know if the, the dog, I don't know what the dog was thinking. I don't know what dogs are thinking. I don't know what my dog is thinking. But I hope that as my dog owner, Ashley and I treat Eva really well. Um, wait, Jared, do you want to go to the two pictures? I, I guess I wanted to show you guys my cute puppy. Um, so there's the first one. This is Eva standing on like this little play slide thing for Toby. Um, she's a super cutie and a sweetie. Do you want to do the next one? This is Eva wearing Ashley's glasses. Um, so adorable. Uh, but over time, as you form your relationship with your pet, Eva, what I hope Eva feels is, I am a good dog owner. I treat her well. I spend time cuddling with her. I love her. You know, I take her on walks. Sometimes we neglect her because now we have a baby, but we try our best to be a good dog owner, right? And so over time, I think we get to the point where if Eva had the freedom to leave, she would want to come back. And so it, this is one of the cutest things ever. When we leave her at like Ashley's parents' house and go on trips, we've only done this a few times. Um, when we see her, when we come back from our trip and we open the door and Eva sees that, it, uh, that it's us, she is so overjoyed to see us. She jumps, on, like she actually, I tell her not to, so she doesn't jump on me, but her tail is wagging and she's like so cute and having such a great time um, because, because of how we've treated her. And so when you present yourself, um, we present our whole self to him that comes out of uh, what God has already done for us. Uh, second point, we do this out of a changed mindset. And then as we present ourselves to God, as we have a changed mindset about these things, only then, as you do those things, you will increasingly understand and approve of the will of God, okay? So for disciples to be unleashed, this is a totally different way of relating to God. And the problem with um, many, uh, many churches, many pastors, I've probably done this plenty of times, but we are not addressing the core issue people have, which is their relationship with God colors everything that they see in church. It colors the way you interpret the Bible. It colors the way you pray. We need to work on that initial relational part with God before we get to the conduct. Um, so let me unpack the first verse, and I'll, I'll kind of show you where I'm getting all of this stuff. So number one, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. So right off the bat, in the book of Romans, uh, I love the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul's taken 11 chapters of dense theological argument, and he has turned his direction. This is a turning point in the book where he moves from the indicative to the imperative, or he moves from describing what is true about God and what is true about you to what we should do in light of that, okay? So there's a pattern within all of scripture where your behavior always comes as a response to what God has already done and what is already true of you. Um, that You might not understand that right now, but when you read Paul and when you read the New Testament authors, as you increasingly understand that, you begin to realize how important this is. Because we have this tendency to always start with the behavior and say, you should do this, you should do that, without addressing the heart or the attitude and especially without increasing your understanding 
of why you should do these things. And we'll talk about them in the second point. So what does Paul say here? He says, I appeal to you, therefore. So he's saying, in light of everything that I've said about the gospel, about Jesus Christ and his salvation, in light of God loving us so much that while we were still his enemies, he came to this world to die for us so we could be reconciled to God, and he made us a new creation, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. In light of all of these things, I appeal to you. This is really interesting. The word for appeal here could very easily have been, I command you, right? He's an apostle. He has authority. He can do whatever he wants. That's how we often think about it. He doesn't say that. He says, I appeal to you. What does it mean to appeal to someone rather than to command someone? When you appeal to someone, you are trying to persuade them. You're trying to urge them or encourage them. But you are not forcing them to do anything. When you're appealing to someone, so like if I was to appeal to you, you should really try kettlebelling. This is an exercise that I really love doing, and I've appealed to many of you that you should try kettlebelling. I'm not trying to force you. I'm just saying I love kettlebelling. I really enjoy it. It's really helped my physical fitness. It's really good. You should do it. I'm not trying to force you. In the same way, Paul is saying, because of my life with God, because I have this experience of walking with God and experiencing his grace, I appeal to you to do the same thing that I've already done. What is that? So he's appealing. He's not forcing. And he could have forced, but he's not. And so he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So there is this element of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, and we'll get there. But he says first, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Another translation could be, in view of the mercies of God. And that little phrase is so beautiful. Again, let's think back to the dog. What would it look like for the dog to be loyal to his master in view of the master's mercies. It would basically be the dog thinking to himself this. So the dog has run off, right? The dog is like getting into trouble, sniffing, you know, sniffing poop and like maybe eating poop because sometimes dogs do that, running, chasing after squirrels, getting into all kinds of stuff. And then the dog thinks to himself, you know what? My master treated me really well. I've experienced how good my master is to me. My master gives me treats. Every night before I go to bed, this is for me and Eva, um, we give her a little snack and, we, and I say, I mean, it's normally me, sometimes Ashley does it. Literally, I say every night, good night, love you, love you, good night, exactly like that. And then I give her a treat and then she goes to bed, like she's in her little crate. And I give her the treat and then, you know, she knows that's time to go to bed. And so the dog is thinking to himself, my master treats me well, my master gives me treats. And sometimes, as a pet owner, you get kind of ridiculous. For Eva's second birthday, Ashley and Sarah made her a barcuterie board. You know a charcuterie board, right? It's like an arrangement of different things. So they made her a barcuterie board that spelled out her name, Eva, using snacks. So there's like watermelon, there are like treats, and then we just let her eat all of it, right? We treat Eva really well. We spoil her. She's very spoiled. But because of that, she knows she's loved, she's experienced our goodness, and that hopefully is the thing that motivates her to stay with us, to not run away. Her loyalty is motivated by our love and care for her. And in the same way, this man's dog, it's running away, it's off somewhere, and it thinks to itself, you know, maybe I should go back to my master because my master treats me so well. That's what this logic is here. 
in view of God's mercies. Now, this is really interesting because many of you are at different points in your Christian walk, um, and this is where I always try to do this with youth. God is not forcing you to do anything, and I would almost say, I, I wanna qualify this, I would say, as a youth, if you have not experienced the mercies of God, if you don't know anything, like if you have no clue what I'm talking about, this, the same could be said for any adult, really. Uh, you have no reason to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It doesn't necessarily make sense. If you are trying to offer yourself based on your parents' faith, you won't get very far because you don't understand. And they might have a motivation for you to believe in God, but if you don't, if you haven't tasted God's goodness, and I really mean that, um, it's going to be really hard. It's, gonna, it's not only going to be hard, it's going to be impossible for you to live the Christian life. So uh, there's an example uh, that an old preacher used for, uh, you know, there's like a psalm where it says, taste and see the Lord is good. And he makes a, distinguish, a distinction between the, in your mind, you can have an impression of what honey tastes like. So, um, and this was like way back in the day, so they didn't have like cane sugar or whatever. That would have been really rare. So this is probably in the 1700s. And he said, think for a second about what honey tastes like. Are you thinking about it right now? There is a huge difference night and day between thinking about how sweet honey tastes like, how it feels on your tongue and in your mouth, and actually tasting it in your mouth, right? There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between me describing one of my favorite meals would be like a tomahawk steak. I love steak. There's a huge difference between me describing what it tastes like and you chowing down, biting on that steak. In the same way, there's a huge difference between someone else telling you how good God is and actually having a sense of it for yourself, where God has dealt with you, God has treated you well, God loves you. And out of that, in view of those mercies, only then do you present yourself as a living sacrifice. Um, what does he say in this next part? He says, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is, uh, this is a call to holistic discipleship. Paul very easily could have said, present yourselves, right? Just like you know, just give yourself over to God. And this is what many of us will say um, at youth retreat sermons. You want to be sold out for God, sacrifice everything for God. But what he says here is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But then what he says later on is present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, and the spiritual worship phrase is a little bit of an unfortunate translation because what it means is there is a contrast being drawn between your body and your spirit. What's the difference between those things? Your body is physical, it's tangible, it's external, it's observable, but your spirit is internal, invisible. And so this is the difference between your external behaviors and your attitude, right? Where some of you guys were giving the example of teachers, right? There's a student who can perform all the right behaviors for their teacher, but hate their guts, right? I mean, probably many of you are those very people, right? You get an A plus in their class, but you hate them. There is a disconnect between your body and your spirit. You force your body to do something, but your spirit doesn't really want to. And so you can think of different words we have to communicate this, hypocrisy, or you're just conforming to external pressures. But in this, Paul is saying, 
the only reason you present yourself, your bodies, the only reason you do behaviors for God is in view of his mercies and because it is your spiritual worship. It is what your spirit wants to do. Though The translation is really unfortunate. Another way of putting spiritual worship is actually, the word for spiritual there is related to our word logic. And so other translations have it rational or reasonable. And then the word worship has become, so both spiritual and worship are super Christian jargon. And so it makes it hard for us to understand it. Um, instead, you could say, it is your reasonable response it is your reasonable service or actions or behaviors, right? So in view of God's mercy, because of how he's treated you, it makes sense, it is logical for you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is really interesting, right? Because you can't force someone to be persuaded that this is reasonable and logical. You can't force them. Like a parent cannot force their kid to think it's worthwhile to follow God, to read the Bible, to pray. Um, there, is, uh, there is a really healthy place of parents communicating what they care about and encouraging their kids to do behaviors that are important to them. But at some point as they get older and older, um, at some point you have to like, let go and give them freedom to choose because you can't force their attitude. Sometimes you can enforce the, their behavior, you can't change their spirit. And so Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies and your spirits why? Because it makes sense. And this is the realm of logic and understanding that I think many people don't get. There's a huge difference between a cult and Christianity. When you look at cults or when you look at kind of um, domineering organizations, it could be a business, it could be a church, it could be a school, the, the huge difference between these things is a cult will make you obey without changing your understanding. Or, to, or in a sense, giving you the freedom to understand why you're doing what you're doing. They will make you conform and enforce certain behaviors. Um, a school can do that, businesses can do that, all of this stuff can do that. But hopefully in our church, when you don't feel the pressure to conform uh, because in, Christian, in the Christian life, your understanding changes before your actions change. Or at least that's the way the New Testament describes it. And so let's go ahead and keep on moving. Um, let's look at the next verse. So God wants us to present our whole self to him. I didn't even get into what the image of living sacrifice looks like, but the image there is simply putting yourself at God's disposal. Or one way I like to think about it is um, in the hospitality industry, you know they call it the service industry, right? Um, so people who welcome people into hotels, your, your goal is to anticipate the needs and desires of that person who's coming into your hotel and make them feel as comfortable, as loved, as cared for as possible, right? And so all of your mind is focused around pleasing this person. To be a living sacrifice is the same way, where out of your love for God, you say, God, I want to please you in everything I do. And it is holistic. This is actually a huge problem that many of us have. Um, we act a certain way here, and I'm, dude, I'm not even saying this just for kids. I'm saying this for adults. In fact, I think adults are actually better at being hypocritical. We're better at putting on a face. Um, there is this one example. I had, a, I had a friend who told me this story. Okay, sorry. Again, look, I think it's a helpful illustration. I'm sorry if this touches close to home. Um, he told me the story about two parents who were separated. And they were, they were supposedly Christian. And they had two kids who were in the church. 
And everyone knew that they were separated. They didn't live together. But every Sunday, they walked together, together into the church and sat down next to each other and pretended like they were together. And they were doing that because they were so ashamed of the state of their marriage and they didn't want other people to know, even though they did. And that is the very definition of not having integrity, where the, the actions you're doing is totally out of touch with where you actually are. And so God is calling us, when he says present your bodies and your spirit, if you present one aspect of you, but not the other, you, are, you disintegrate. You disintegrate, right? Integrity means everything is together. The way I talk, the way I act, the way I feel, my inner, my inner life, it all is together. And that's what Paul is asking for. If, if I were to talk to these people and say, this is not how God wants you to live because it doesn't have integrity. They're presenting their bodies, but they're not dealing with the inner thing. This is actually what gives Christians and God like a really bad name. This is why many kids will call the churches, churches hypocrites, and those arguments are very valid. They are very sound arguments against many, against many people and examples. But I hope that within our church, there are examples of people who do the opposite, where we are open with our issues. And you know, in my marriage, like, I have tons of issues. Like, I really do. I have a lot of issues. But what I really love about Ashley and I is we try to tell each other, like she tells me the truth about how I was being selfish or self-centered and I wasn't helping her. I wasn't being considerate of her. And then I can tell her the truth, hopefully, that, sorry, Ashley, that sometimes uh, she, she can give people the death, grin, the death glare or like she doesn't always use words in a way that's, you know, like encouraging, right? Um, and that is what it looks like to have integrity. And that's how transformation and change happens, right? Where you put it out in the open. And you're, so it's far better for someone to say, I am a total mess in my life. I desperately need God's help. I sin all the time in a ton of different ways. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? That is so much healthier, and that is exactly what Jesus wants compared to the person who pretends, who puts up a mask, who acts like they're good when really they're not. God wants us to present our whole self to him. Next point. We do this out of a changed mindset. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is, again, youth retreat passage. I want you to look at this. I want you to look at how you become transformed. What does it say? Does it say you transform yourself by trying really hard? Does it say you force yourself, you exert pressure and guilt tripping and coercion to make yourself do what God wants? No, it says you are transformed, be transformed. It's passive. You are passively, there's a, I mean, it's very active, but um, gra grammatically it's passive. Be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And this phrase is so important. This is what it means to be a disciple. In the same way as uh, the same way as the dog, you know, like willingly follows the master, to be transformed in the renewing of your mind means you say to God, "The way I think, um, I, I I don't put a lot of trust in my own capacity to understand the world and life. I don't put a lot of trust in it. 
there's a proverb, a famous proverb where it says, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. To be a disciple means to have your mind renewed, says increasingly over time, your understanding of who God is, who you are, how you live in the world changes. But in order for you to change, you have to say, I need to change, right? I don't know something. I don't know something that I need to know about how to live life. And so this again is, if you think you're super duper smart and you have it all together and you don't need anything from God, your mind will not be renewed. But if you come to a place where you're like, I've tried everything else. This is where it says, do not conform to the world, but be transformed. So if you've tried living the way that everyone else says, um, if you are parenting your kids in the way that everyone else says, um, I would just say, potentially, you should try to ask God or try to inquire what God says about your attitude towards your kid, etc. And that might actually do a lot for your relationship with your... And again, so I'm not... I'm not speaking from a place of personal experience, um, but I am speaking from a place of observing families and my own family, like my parents and the way that they treated me, um, where my parents uh, raised me in a very non-traditional way based on their relationship with God, where they did not force me to do the path that everyone else was doing. They said, what we care about more than anything is that you know God and trust him. And so they, like, you know, my mom went through a large struggle where she, I mean, she really wanted me to do well in school, and she really loves me, and she's from Taiwan, so, like, this is ingrained in her the way she thinks. Get good grades. Go to a good college. But because of her relationship with God, she worked really hard to let go of that and say, God, I trust Daniel with you, and I am not going to try to, like, just shove him into my idea of what he should be like. And then over time, that freedom made me realize that many of the things that she wanted me to do actually were good and were out of her love for me. So let me give you one dumb example, piano. I hated practicing piano. I was like the worst piano student. I could tell you lots of stories about how terrible of a student I was. But what's really sad, so I played from the age of six to about the age of 13. And I like, I remember a little bit of stuff. Like I remember how to play at least two songs <laughs> from when I was like seven or whatever. I didn't, I didn't improve much because I never practiced. But I like, she always said, you know, you'll really value it later on in your life. And it's so great to learn piano. Um, but then also the way she, she would nag me about practicing and I wouldn't want to do it. And so now that I'm older, I love music. Um, I love playing guitar and singing, and probably you've heard me play guitar. I, guitar is one of my favorite things in the world. But what I wish I had done is I wish I would have practiced and taken piano a little bit seriously, not because I had anything to perform, not because I had to please my mom, but because I love music, and I wish I could express myself through a different instrument in that way. And so, you know, maybe when I have more time, I, I'll, like, learn how to play piano more. This is what it's like with God where initially you might find yourself disagreeing with him. But over time, as you place yourself before scripture, what you'll find is the things that you thought were ridiculous about God, what he said for you to do, those are actually the best things for you. So let me give you one example. Um, when I was young, I always wanted to be like an author or like a professor. My reasoning was very specific. I am very introverted. People are a mess. The less relationships I have with people, the less I'll get hurt. 
and I just want to live my own life the way I wanted. So I want to find whatever profession I can have where people would just leave me alone. I'm serious. But what's so crazy is over the course of, over the course of my life, over and over again, through reading scripture, through other people's examples, people have said to me over and over again, you know, love the Lord with all your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Or, you know, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. All of these different passages, be kind to one another, bear one another's burdens. It's all relational. And so I came to a point where I was like, how can I be a Christian and say that I love God when I don't want to give up control of my life to caring for other people and being involved in other people's lives. If I am just gonna be completely alone, all by myself, am I having integrity? And then the other crazy thing is, so what I did was I started trying and it was so painful. So I went to Bible school um, out of high school. Again, non-traditional path for one year. It was in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains. And I was forced to live with five other guys in a tiny little room with three bunk beds. And so I had no space, and I'm introverted. Everyone was always talking to me and bug bugging me. I couldn't get away from them. We were stuck. It was like there would be a snowstorm. We would be stuck in our little, like, our little school in the middle. Like, it was like 7,000 feet above sea level. Couldn't go anywhere. And I would be, just be stuck with a bunch of people who wanted to like, talk to me and bug me. And I'm like, this sucks. I hate this. It was so hard. But what was so valuable about that was I actually... I mean, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I realized that I was learning some of the skills that it requires and the attitude it requires to make friends with people, which means you don't always get your way. It's not always comfortable for you. You have to think about other people than you. It's not always about how you're feeling in the moment. Like, they have feelings too. I can be considerate of them. And so over my life, I, I'll, I'll say this, just right off the bat, this is what it looks like for my mind to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. This is how my mindset has changed. Um, before, I wanted nothing to do with people. Now, I think loneliness is one of the saddest curses that you can experience as a person. And God was so wise in leading me away from a mindset that would have made me lonely and alone. You know what I mean? I'm never going to change because I want to do what I want. That is a perfect recipe to be alone or to have challenged relationships. And so when God says, love one another, um, he is actually helping you. This is the same way that the dog. The dog trusts the master more and more. And we're humans, so we can even understand more about what God says. At some point in your life, you come to the place where you say, not only is God's word trustworthy, um, but, and not only am I going to do the behavior, but I agree with him. And this is what the last part of the passage says. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in this part of the passage, um, this is what I would say to you. If you want to know the will of God for your life, uh, you present yourself to him and you say to him, God, I am available to you. This means putting, like, it's like in a relationship with someone. Um, when you say, I'm going to be present with you, are you paying the attention to them? Are you listening to them? Um, if you're not, then you're not really present for them. In the same way, you present yourself, your bodies before God, where you say, God, I am at your disposal. I want to serve you. I want to listen to you. I want to follow you. I want to do things for you. I want to learn from you. And then you say to yourself, look, my mind needs to be renewed. I need to give God the freedom to confront the way I think about life 
so that he can change it so that I can live a better way. And then as you do these two things, what happens? You will come to a place where, like me with the relational thing, you don't just say God's will, I'm going to do it, and you're like, oh, this is such a pain. But you say, this is so much richer. The life with God, listening to him, is so much better and richer than the life I would have chosen for myself. I didn't know what was good for me. And the way you know that, the way you learn that, the way you grow in wisdom and perspective is through this, these means, through presenting yourself to God, through letting your mind be renewed. And then once you, go, once you get to this point, over time you will increasingly realize about the, word, the will of God that it is good, that I agree with it, that is acceptable. His will for me is better than anything I could imagine. And then it is perfect, which means there is no better alternative than what God would have for me. Um, let me try to get a little bit practical to conclude. Um, what do we believe as a church it looks like to put this into practice, to be a disciple who presents yourself to God, who renews your mind. Um, this is something I feel really passionate about. Uh, your conduct has to come as a byproduct of your changed understanding, right? And you change your understanding by saturating your mind with the word of God, and this can look like a lot of different things. This can look like a lot of different things. What our church does to make this happen, number one, we have preaching. So hopefully as I'm speaking, as Dan's speaking, as Ken is speaking, as different people are speaking, we're unpacking what the word of God says. We're helping show you that there's a different mindset or different options for how to live. Where Jesus says, you know, um, uh, pray for your enemies or, you know, don't repay evil for evil, but Pray for those who persecute you. That is an option that you would never even consider without Jesus, without his example. Um, so then we have preaching. Number two, we try to do Bible study of different sorts where we think over your lifetime, if you let the word of God search you and change your mindset and you try to live your life based on what the Bible says, um, your life, again, I think your life will be far richer and fuller and better. It doesn't mean you won't suffer, but it means that you will understand what God is doing in your life more than if you tried to do it without him. And if, you, if there's a part of you that you're holding back from God, this is what I'd say, this is where he says present your bodies, present all of you. If there's a part of you that you're holding back from God that you know, um, it will be almost impossible for you to hear the voice of God, to discern the voice of God. He still might speak through to you. He'll still get your attention in different ways, um, but it means presenting yourself. Uh, sorry, I got kind of sidetracked there. But the other thing, so basically I would say preaching is one way that we try to renew our minds. Bible study is another way we try to renew our minds. Reading together scripture, talking to each other. But there are lots of totally informal ways that I believe we should do this. Counseling, like Yvonne is a counselor. When Yvonne counsels people, she is trying to help them understand new mindsets that they can have about their life that is informed by God. Uh, when you talk with your friends, if someone, has, if someone is a Christian, the way they speak to you, hopefully, will give you new options or a new perspective with how to approach a problem. And so as you do these things, you grow in wisdom with how particularly to live in, gray, in, in life, because life is gray. Um, and so I, I feel this is so important. And honestly, I feel like on our English side, uh, we could, this is why we want to do an adult Sunday school. Um, I think it would be really helpful for us to take a lot of time 
and try to saturate ourselves in the word of God. Because we won't be able to hear God's voice without that. We won't be able to grow, have our mindset changed. Because again, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what should we do? Concentrate on letting God's word speak into our lives and confront us. And then as we do that together, and it's not just like saying you're not good enough, be better, but it's also saying uh, you are holy and acceptable to God. Did you notice that? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which means if you're a Christian, because of what Jesus did, you are a new creation. Understanding the truth about who you are in Christ, and that changes your self-image, it changes the way you feel about yourself. These are all the types of things that come from the renewing of your mind. And again, sorry, one last example from my own life. Um, I've shared with you how I struggled a lot with depression. Um, I was very self-loathing when I was in junior, especially when I was in high school. And I had a really negative view of myself. In fact, I think I still struggle with this periodically. I'm sure Ashley could tell you. Um, but my relationship with God, I've heard him over and over again through God, through scripture, through people saying, encouraging me, look, Daniel, you are a beloved child of God, and I love you. And the way you think about yourself needs to be changed. And you need to be transformed in the way you view yourself. Because God, I, God, don't view you that way. And that's not an easy process. But over time, that will happen. And then that's what will allow us to, in a sense, make a difference in the world. Because then we will be different. We will no longer be conformed to the world. But we will do everything out of this love for God. Christianity is not constraining. In some ways, it's constraining. In some ways, it's not. Christianity is not coercive. Uh, God doesn't force you to do things, but God is like the dog owner who lets you off the leash. You are free to do whatever you want. Will you come to a place where you recognize God's will is good? That's the question for us. And so before you even ask Dan's question, before you even say, what is God saying to me right now? You have to come to grips with this question, is God good? Do you believe that he's trustworthy and worth following? And this requires using your mind, thinking it through, understanding. I hope that in the new year we can grow in our understanding of what God says in his word. I hope our mindsets can change as we allow him to do that. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, uh, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for his um, sacrifice and I pray, Lord, that his example of doing your will would persuade us, would argue with us that following your will is so good. Even when it's hard, even when we experience pain and rejection as a result of doing what's, what you say. Um, I pray you would give us courage to do that. I pray you would be uh, renovating our hearts that we might trust you and know you. Um, and I pray, Lord, that we would be patient with ourselves and we would be able to take small steps um, in your direction, Lord. Um, yeah, I really thank you for your word, and I pray you would speak to us. I pray we would uh, treasure it in our hearts this week, um, and that we would make ourselves available for, to you to speak to us and change us. Uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.